Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. All right, well, we are uh, doing uh, this, this series called Winning the War in Your Mind, and this is week four. So if you're brand new and you like what you're hearing, I'm going to give you a little bit of a review at the end. Uh, regarding where we've been and some of the principles we've taken away from it. But if you're enjoying this message today, uh, go back and listen to the other ones. They really, really help you. Amen, everybody? Anybody who's been here the last few weeks, would you agree that this has been helpful to you? Uh, And so I would encourage you to go back. You can listen to them on our podcast. You can download the Church Center app and watch the messages if you'd like. Uh, But I just encourage you to jump in into them. Today, we're going to talk about how to calm your anxious mind. Calming your anxious mind. Anybody identify as being somebody, man, I got a lot of stuff on my mind. Yeah? All right. Just, just a few of you willing to be honest about that, huh? That's okay. We all know you. You all got stuff that's stressing you out. It's probably stressing you out so much that you might even be a little disengaged with what's going on here today, right? I, I get that. You walk into a space and you're trying to be present, but it's really hard to be present when you've got so much on your mind, so much you're worried about that's waiting on you as soon as you walk out those doors. Some of you didn't leave it at the doors. Some of you carried it right in here with you. And you're thinking about it. You're playing on your phone about it. You're talking to your your spouse or or whatever. You're, you're, You're ruminating and it's just distracting you. I have anxieties too. Now, what you need to know about me, one of the things I really enjoy is opportunities to share Uh, the messages that God has given me, to share uh, my life story and and to share some of the spaces that God has delivered me from, dealing with mental health and depression and specifically talking in in addiction circles. I really, really enjoy those opportunities, and I've been getting more and more of those lately. And, And earlier this year, I got invited to speak at a church, and I'd never spoken there before. And, uh, and I was sitting on the front row, and something very odd happened to me. Now, I have to tell you, I have insecurities every Sunday. Sitting on the front row every Sunday, I feel some insecurities, right? Because it's like, oh, man, you know, what's going to happen? Am I gonna, is, is God going to speak when I get up there and start talking? Is anybody going to receive anything, right? But this Sunday was a little different. This Sunday, I was actively popping Pepto-Bismol tablets, on the front row during service, my stomach was in knots. I had myself all worked up over, over some thoughts. And, and I don't mind sharing. I was sitting on the front row, and I had all these what ifs. Anybody ever have that happen to you? Big opportunity comes maybe to speak at a business meeting, or you got an interview, or maybe an opportunity to talk to that pretty girl, or to, to have that tough conversation, or whatever it might be, just just... This is, this is that moment to step into it, and the what-ifs just kind of polarize you and keep you frozen stiff? Just me. Awesome. Okay. So it makes me feel real good about sharing and being all vulnerable with you guys. It's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, I guess I'm all alone in this, and uh, I've got all these what-ifs. And the, one of the first what-ifs is, what if they don't like you? What if, what if, they, don't like, what if they don't like your tattoos? So I pulled my, the sleeves of my, shirt, of my sweater down. What if, what, if, what if you get up there and they're like, they don't like you because you're, you're a big guy. And they're like, oh, he's a big fella. <laughs> and they don't like me because of that. What if I get up there and I, if I, if I try to be funny and, and bring humor to it and it all just falls flat? And what if they don't like me because of that? Or what if they don't like the message that I've got to say? Or what if they don't like the way that I present the gospel? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And then I got to a place where 
all of it was on my shoulders that if they don't like me, then they won't listen, then they won't receive, then they won't be transformed, and they've wasted their time. Oh my gosh, everything's imploding right now in my life. Nobody can relate to that? Oh, thank you. And how quickly that happens is insane. It happens in a matter of seconds that you get to this worst case scenario. And then you're like. <laughs> popping Pepto. My stomach's in knots. And here's the thing. I've been popping Pepto for days because I've been entertaining that story for days. Stuck in that place of anxiety. And I, and, and. I couldn't help it. Before I knew it, my mind was running in the wrong direction and wound up in this worst case scenario. And that's what happens to us. We wind up in this place where we're completely overwhelmed. Now, maybe, maybe this anxiety thing makes sense to you because, man, all of us, for, for all intents and purposes, we worry about our job. We worry about finances, our kids and family and the future. We worry about those things. But then we've all come out of this season this weird season, this pandemic, and I think we're, we're post-pandemic now, like we're coming out of it, but I think we're still dealing with the impacts and effects of it. I think it's changed us all in, in, in very, very marked ways that some of us haven't even realized yet. It's changed us. And now we worry about our jobs, but we worry about them for different reasons. During the pandemic and even coming out of it, it's like, am I even going to have a job? Am, am I even going to my marriage? I didn't change how I approached my marriage and this pandemic kind of changed everything and now my marriage is in trouble. Well, my kids, my, my kids, they're, they're getting the brunt of everything. They're getting the brunt of the political unrest, the social unrest, the racial unrest and all the injustice. They're, they're getting the brunt edge of it. The wear a mask, not wear a mask, in person, not in person. They are suffering And they're all the things that we're trying to press on them or not press on them. We're worried. We're anxious. We're anxious about our finances. We're anxious about the stock market. My goodness, can we get some good news in the stock market? None of y'all care about that? I do. We've, we've got wars going on. And then, and then we've got like the potential of, of certain people entering into NATO. And if they get approved to get into NATO, then we are in immediate World War III. Is anybody watching the news? Are you going to tell me any of that stuff doesn't worry you or cause some anxiety within you over what is going on? Well, what do we do? Well, I'm going to give you some hope on the front end of this message because it feels like I'm going a little dark. So let me give you some hope, okay? I'm going to give you some hope. I'm going to show you how you calm your anxious minds today, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why it happens in the first place, okay? So here's, here's your hope right here. Uh, and the context of this is Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. This is the Apostle Paul, and he is, well, he wrote most of the New Testament, and he is writing from a jail cell, okay? So he's actively in prison. He is waiting uh, to be in front of Caesar, uh, but ultimately history bears out that he gets executed, okay? So he, that's what winds up happening with him. He's there for years and years and years. But Paul, from his jail cell, writes to this church at Philippi. He says, do not be anxious about anything, now, that word anxious, by the way, in other translations gets translated worry. He says, do not worry about anything. Now, how mixed up do you have to be to be sitting in a jail cell, chained, for however long he was by this point, and he's sitting there going, 
Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing, now you. Yeah, who's doing that? Paul is. Paul's doing that because he understood something that we need to grasp today. Is that worry is a choice. The Bible telling you don't worry means you have a choice. You can either worry or not. He's saying don't worry. So Paul's like, there's some stuff we got to stop. And here's some stuff we got to start. He says, don't worry about anything. But in every situation, everybody say every. every. That means every situation. That means there's not a single situation this doesn't apply to. But whatever it is you're worried about today, it applies to this, all right? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, Paul is letting you know this is a God word conversation because I don't think we're really good at this church and I think we gotta get better at it. So Paul's saying we gotta stop worrying and we gotta start praying. Prayer is not a conversation you have with your friends on Facebook. But that's where we take all our worries, isn't it? That's where we take all our anxieties and our stresses and our bad days. We take them to Facebook. We take them to our social media. We take them to text message. Hello? And we talk to each other. And Paul's like, stop. Let's turn this Godward. Let's have a Godward conversation. That means to pray. And then he watch what he says. He says, with thanksgiving. Put a pin in that because that's the secret sauce. And I'm going to come back to it in just a moment. He says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Watch what happens if you do. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, means people are going to look at you and go, what in the world has happened to you? How in the world are you walking through the middle of the storm and you are calm? People won't understand it. What this speaks to is that people will begin to mutter to themselves. What in the world do they know that I don't know? Oh, it's Jesus. It's the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what we've been talking about these three weeks prior to, right? is taking every thought captive. We're going to stop thinking about those things and we're going to start thinking about certain things. He says, watch what happens. Not only will God's peace, because before it says the peace of God will be with you, but watch, if you'll do that, if you'll instead get a hold of your thoughts and make them think about these things, it says the God of peace will be with you, not just the peace of God. Well, that's a whole different thing, baby. We can have God's peace, and we can also have the God of peace. I'd rather have both of them. You know what I'm saying? Why does Paul want us thinking these things? Because he understood what science and psychology confirm true today. And this has been our theme, theme message for this entire series, is that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. And so the good news is if you have positive thoughts... This is very helpful to you. If you have negative thoughts, this is, this is bad for you. It takes your life in the wrong direction. And Paul has given us these two keys to win the war in your mind and calm your anxious mind. He said, we got to stop some stuff, and we got to start some stuff. We got to stop worrying because it's a choice, and we got to start some stuff, which is prayer. 
Because prayer is what brings peace to your mind. Why does it happen, though? Why, why do we have this war raging in our minds? Well, your brain does it to you, actually. There's a little almond-shaped part of your brain, very small. It's called your amygdala. And, uh, in fact, I'll show it to you now. Boom, there it is. There's your amygdala. And that little thing, that amygdala, is part of your brain that has you wired for survival. In fact, it is the thing that whenever you face something that, that concerns you, it turns on that fight or flight thing within you, okay? It lets you know whether or not you need to run or you need to stay and fight. It senses any danger at all. It lights up, releases some adrenaline, and you're ready to go. It's letting you know you need to be on guard or you need to run away from this. And your amygdala is what makes that noise that you heard in the middle of the night into the, the fact that something's getting ready to kill you. You know what I'm saying? It's that small noise you heard, and it's like, oh my goodness, there's an intruder in the house. I got to get the flashlight, and I got to get my gun, or I got to get my bat, or whatever it is in your skivvies, and you're out wandering around looking for this thing, right? <laughs> skivvies is your underwear, people, okay? <laughs> got to come from where I come from to understand that word, I think. But God gave us this warning system, okay? So it's absolutely normal that your amygdala exists. It's there for a reason. The problem with the amygdala, of course, is that it is not objective. It's not objective. It can be very irrational as a result, right? Like, uh, for instance, um, spiders. How you feel about spiders? Pretty terrible, right? I think what happened was years ago there was this movie that came out, and I'm really going to age myself at this point, called Arachnophobia. And it put in this irrational fear of spiders in us. And we've just continued to pass that down to generation after generation of people who have never even seen that movie before, right? And we've got this irrational fear of spiders that if there is a spider in the house, what are you going to do? Burn it down. That's right. Burn it down. It's irrational, but that's how we feel about it, right? All across the internet, it's like, let's go. Let's just burn it down. So the amygdala is hardwired to protect us, but we need some help, though. That's why God gave us another part of the brain, which I'll show it to you now. It's already up there, the prefrontal cortex. There it is. That prefrontal cortex helps balance us out because it adds logic to the situation. So when our amygdala is going crazy, saying the situation is bad, your brain's going, no, it's not. For example, that noise you heard in the middle of the night, your amygdala is going, it's an intruder alert, and your brain's going, it's just a dog. Now, if you have a cat, maybe you do have a reason to panic because cats are the spawn of Satan, and they are planning to kill you. <laughs> the amygdala is all panic. Your prefrontal cortex is all logic. But here's the thing. Your amygdala is also just responding to pre-programming, right? It's responding to pre-programming. Me on that front row that Sunday where, there where I was going through all the what-ifs, the reason I was experiencing all those insecurities and the what-ifs of rejection is because I've experienced a number, of, a number of, of events in my life where I have been rejected, where I've been made fun of, where I've been pushed away, where I have been laughed at and torn down, made to feel small. And here's what I was doing is I was putting myself in a position to be in front of people to be criticized and rejected. And so, of course, my amygdala is lighting up because we are adverse to pain. We don't want it. Whether that's emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain, finance, we don't want it. We do not want pain. 
And so my amygdala is lighting up and is warning me of the potential pain, the past hurts, the fears, and the traumas, and the misunderstandings of, of, of whatever has happened to me. And you feel this too. Your amygdala gets triggered with feelings of anxiety and fear and insecurities. And really what, ha- what, what all this is, it's a sense of being out of control. That when you sense, I can't control the outcome of the conversation, of the situation, I can't control people's opinions. Because see, I want you all to like me. I want you to love, I'm a people pleaser that way, right? And where are my people pleaser at? Anybody out there, people pleaser? Yeah, I want you to like me. I want you to love me, and I will do everything I can. At the end of the day, I realize that's not very rational. I realize that's not going to be possible, but I still want it. Love me. Choose me. Thing. <laughs> but what happens when we get into this space and our amygdala is lit up and it's all triggered, we start without realizing it, allowing our minds to race to the worst case scenario. And when we're panicked, we try to control everything around us, don't we? Because we have a sense of feeling out of control, we try to control what we can so that the worst case scenario doesn't happen. We wind up completely overwhelmed by a runaway mind. That's why Paul told us not to worry. He said, again, I'm going to go back to the verse. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. In every situation by prayer and petition. So we're having, we're talking to God with thanksgiving. Now, let me come back to this thing, this thanksgiving. This is the secret sauce. The reason why Paul says to put thanksgiving here is not so that you talk to God in a disingenuous way. You're laying in a hospital bed. God, I'm so thankful that I'm in this hospital bed right now, isolated from everybody that I love. God, I'm so thankful that I can't pay my bills this month. Feels real good. God, I'm so thankful that my spouse is angry at me, won't even return my calls right now, don't know where she is, don't know where the kids are. I'm so thankful for this situation, God. Hey, God, I'm so thankful for this addiction that I haven't been able to seem to break in my life. This is awesome. Shame is my game. It's good. That's, that's not what Paul is telling us here. Because none of the situations in our lives that are bringing us pain are something we can find a way to be thankful about. What Paul is telling us with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, God, you've been faithful to me in the past, and I know you're going to be faithful to me today. Hey, you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Hey, God, you provided for me before in this situation. I know you're going to do it again. Hey, Hey, you're never, ever, never going to leave me. You'll never forsake me. There's, this is, hey God, thank you. Hey, God, my kids are going crazy, but you know what? You brought me back, so I thank you that you're going to bring my kids back. Right? What is Thanksgiving doing? Thanksgiving is you're choosing to remember God's provision in the past, and it builds faith in you for your present. He says, with Thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So me, I have these conversations with people all the time. And they come to me, and they, they're talking about their situations, and they're worried. And I, I always ask them, how are you praying about this? And I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised by the responses that I get from Christians. So I haven't prayed about it yet. Why? We, why? What we're choosing to do in this moment is we're choosing 
to worry. We're choosing to live with that anxiety. Paul's saying you can choose to trust by choosing to pray. You can choose to have peace by choosing to pray. Stop worrying and start praying. And here's the thing. You say, am I supposed to talk to God about everything? He tells you that in the verse. He says everything. Because if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. That's a truth you need to know. But it's amazing to me how Christians undervalue the power of prayer. They will exhaust themselves for weeks, months, sometimes even years. And go, well, we've done everything we can do. All we can do now is pray. All you can do now is pray? My goodness, prayer should never be our last resort. It should be our first response, church. It should be our first response. Hebrews tells us that if we come boldly to God, we will find help. And James, he says that we have not because we ask not. Because we're just stubborn. We're just unwilling. Well, I've never done that before. Well, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? Yeah, then you know how to pray. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but it also changes the chemistry in your brain. Look, at, I'm thankful for that because it used to be that we thought that the way people are is the way people were always going to be. But science is telling us that there's something called neuroplasticity, and we've been talking about it the last few weeks. It means your brain is malleable. It means that you can change by simply changing the way you think. It's a powerful thing. Neurotheology, which is a study of mind and God, is teaching us a lot now. It's, there's, it's studying the relationship between the brain and the belief in God. In fact, research shows that prayer changes your brain. Dr. Carolyn Lee from her book, Switch on Your Brain, says, it's been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. See, not only does your prayer move the heart of God, but it also changes the chemistry in your brain. It'll actually change the makeup of your brain. Toxic, negative thoughts can harm your brain, but prayer heals it and transforms it. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, he called it this transforming or this renewing of our minds. Why do we worry as Christians? Because we're supposed to trust in God. Well, science is saying that we're experiencing an amygdala hijack. That hijack tells us to work harder, to maintain control, to stay up all night, playing the scenario over and over again, practicing the conversations. It, it tells us that, that in all situations we need to overprove ourselves or that we need to hide because something is dangerous. And that's what science says. Scripture says that our minds are dominated by sinful thinking. Because worry, by the way, is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. That's what it is. When we choose to worry, it is a sin. It is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God because worry is the opposite of trust. We don't believe what the Bible says about God. We don't believe, we don't trust him, and therefore, we worry about everything. It's exactly what happens to us. What we want to do as Christians, though, instead of letting our sinful minds control us, is we want to choose to let the Spirit of God 
direct our thinking. Let the logical part of our brains, our prefrontal cortex, choose that which is spiritual. Paul said this in Romans 8, verse 5 through 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature, letting, by the way, that's a choice. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So what we got to do is we got to let, choose to let our prefrontal cortex grab our amygdala by the nape of its neck and say, not today, Satan. Not today. Stop being irrational. We're going to choose to listen to the Spirit, and we're going to choose to trust God. Can I see that little box there? This is my pretty wife. Isn't she beautiful? She hates when I do that. You know, this box is, uh, is, is representative of each one of our worries. We all have one of these. Do you know that? We all have a worry box. We keep our worries in there. We keep our family. We keep our kids in there. And we hold on to our worry box and we stroke it. It's precious to us. <laughs> we don't like to show people we have a worry box, but every single one of us has one. We do. We, we keep the conversations in our worry box. We keep our finances in our worry box. We keep all of our stressful things right here. And we were never meant to do that. Peter tells us in 2 Peter to cast all of our, our cares, all of our worries on God because he cares for us. See, the weight of our lives in, those, in that way is not something we were intended to carry. We're not made to carry it. But many of us do, and we've got this little box. We are supposed to instead take these worries and give them to God. It means we should have a God box. Unfortunately for us, one of the things that's inside each one of our worry boxes is God. See, we worry that God will show up. We worry that God is faithful as, as the Bible says he is. We worry that he answer, he'll answer our prayer. We worry. We stress. Is he really who Pastor Aaron says he is? Is he really who the Bible says he is? So we worry and we keep God in this little worry box, but God was never meant to be inside our worries. He was instead meant to take all of our worries and give them to him so that our boxes remain, our worry boxes are always empty. Some of us do this. We take what's in the box and we give it to God. God, I'm just going to trust you with it. <sighs> Things don't seem to change. Time goes by. It's getting closer to the deadline. All the what ifs. It's, it's okay. I'll, I'll take it, God. I don't want you to have to carry that. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, put it. I'll put it back in my box, and we'll just have this right here. It's cool, God. Thank you so much for existing. I appreciate you, but I've got my worries and my cares right here. And this is how we do things. And the problem is, is our worries are often bigger than our God. But there's something we need to learn to do with our worries. We need to learn to turn them into a moment of worship. See, worship is when, is when we add worth to something. And we add worth to God. We say, God, these worries that I've been carrying around, they've been bigger than you. But today, today I'm going to choose, God, that my worries are going to be smaller than you. That you, God, 
can have them all. And that's what worship does. Worship takes a God that is smaller than your worries and makes your worries smaller than your God. It adds value to him. It places your trust and your hope entirely and completely in him. We need to turn our worry into worship. Remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering his power. Remembering his peace. Remembering his promises. You know, I found myself overwhelmed a few months back when the Lord taught me this, this lesson. I was really stressing about some stuff in my life. And I was just having a terrible day. And I sat down and I said, God, I need some help. And he said, Aaron, he said, it's your worries. You're carrying them around like big boulders. He said, son, you were never meant to carry these things. I'm like, I know, but what do I do with them? He said, I want you to build an altar. And I thought, well, God, you don't know me. I'm not very strong. I got a bad back. I don't even know where some boulders are, so like, I'm not going to go build an, uh, like an actual altar. I said, but I do have some, some rocks out back. And the Lord said, you know what I want you to do before you go about this? I want you to write down each one of your worries and your concerns. And so I did, and I had a list of 12 of them. And he reminded me of, in that moment, as soon as I realized there was 12, I also realized there was 12 tribes of Israel. And I remember all the time that the 12 tribes of Israel, that they would set up an altar. And they would do it with 12 stones, one for each tribe. And here I am with these 12 stones. And they would set up an altar in the face of their worries and their cares and their difficulties. And upon it, they would sacrifice and they would worship. And they would ask God to answer. And God would move on their behalf and that altar would stand as a testimony to them for years to come of God's faithfulness, of, of God's ability to act in his heart for his people. And so I went out back and I gathered 12 stones out of the back and I held each one. And the first one I held in my hand and I just named them off that 12 list and I held out the first one. I said, this is my dad. He died back in December. That's been hard. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm not grieving well. It's got me all confuzzled in the head, but God, today I'm going to give you this one. And I sat it down. And I held out the next one. I said, this is my kids. They don't have everything I want them to have, and they're not experiencing everything I'd hoped they'd experience by this time. And God is just stressing me out, watching them make some decisions that I don't agree with or it's just really struggling. And I said, God, I'm just going to choose to trust you with my kids. I put another rock down. And I went through each one of the 12 things that was overwhelming my heart. And I wound up building this, this little altar out back. It's still out there. And I was left with nothing in my hands. I didn't have these 12 stones anymore. And I was left in this position, oddly enough. And I just began to weep and to worship in the presence of God. This is what it looks like when we trust him. Trust is surrender. Trust is I'm not going to hold on to the worries and the cares. I'm going to just give them to you. I don't know what you're going to do with them, but I'm going to choose to trust you. This is an act of worship, my friends. It's one of the greatest that we can do. 
that if we want to win the war in our minds, you want to calm that anxiety, you've got to learn to surrender and to worship. Turn that worry into worship. And in that moment, I'm worshiping God, just praising him for his faithfulness. I experienced immediate peace, peace that I had needed for weeks from what I was struggling with. And some of you might call turning your worries into worship a little irresponsible. You, what do you say there? Are you just going to pray about everything and that's all you're going to do? That's irresponsible. No. No, because in every situation, we all have to do three things. We, we need to do what I can do. So do what you can do. You know, there's, there's this old story about a guy who kept praying, God, help me win the lottery, help me win the lottery. And God spoke back, meet me halfway, buy a ticket. <laughs> if you're praying to win the lottery, buy a ticket, man. We got to do what we can do. And then the next thing we need to do is give God what, what we can't do. Whatever you're worried about, whatever's stressing you out. God, I, I can't control the outcome of this, and so I'm just going to give it to you today. And then the last thing is trust God no matter what. Trust God no matter what. doesn't matter how long. You have to stay in a surrendered position. Trust him. Trust his timing. Trust his faithfulness. If you need to remind yourself of how good he's been, man, listen to, how, listen to stories of how good God has been in other people's lives. Go to scripture. Look how good he, he has been to the people of, of faith in scripture. Man, if you need to, get yourself to another church service or get yourself into a positive space and listen to people tell stories of God's faithfulness so that you can remember it. But stop taking your worries back from God. Stay in a surrendered place. Peace will follow this pattern if you choose it. You can be dominated by your sinful nature or God's spirit. It's your choice. It is your choice. Now, remember in the beginning, the beginning of my message today, I talked about standing on the front row of that church and uh, popping, popping Pepto-Bismol. And, and I just kind of had this aha moment where I realized I was worrying and I needed to turn it into worship. And so I'm standing there, and I, and I kind of just imagined these, all these insecurities showing up as an old friend who was there to protect me. And I thanked my insecurities for showing up. I said, I know why you're here. I've been hurt in the past, and you just want to protect me. But today, today I'm here on mission, and I have a purpose, and God has a plan for me, and I'm here to deliver this message, and I'm here to be obedient because he sent me to do this today. And even if they don't listen to a thing I say, I still did what Jesus told me to do. And so I'm going to stand here in this moment. And God, I'm going to trust you with their hearts because I couldn't change their hearts if I wanted to. I couldn't change yours if I wanted to. The Spirit of God does that. I'm going to trust you with all that stuff. I'm going to trust your redemptive nature. I'm going to trust your power that's at work in people's lives. I'm going to trust the anointing that you placed on my life. I'm going to trust. And in that moment, peace overwhelmed me. And I walked on that stage, and I preached the paint off the walls, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Instant peace. My friends, you can have this too. You can have the peace that you long for. You can have the peace that your hearts need most. So we've, just for review of this entire series, if you've 
taking notes and want them again. If your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? Do you like it? If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. That's why we need to make sure that we identify the lies in our life that we've been believing, but we also need to identify the truth. And we need to replace the lies with the truth. How do we do that? We write it, we think it, we confess it until we believe it. We write it, we think it, we confess it until we believe it. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it. And we need to stop looking at our God through our circumstances and start looking at our circumstances through the goodness of God. And today, the challenge is to cover everything you do, everything you do in prayer. Why? Because the peace of God will be given you if you'll do. It'll transcend every bit of understanding. It won't make sense. And it'll guard your hearts and your minds. You can have that if you'll let God empower you to win the war in your mind today, everybody. Amen? You can have it. You know that truth, and that truth, my goodness, it'll set you free. Let's pray. Today, there are a lot of you here that are burdened by worries, and I'm, I'm very aware of that. <laughs> what you think you need most is to have the situation handled. You need a resolution. You need it to go away. You need that pain healed. You need that relationship mended. That's what you think you need the most. But really what you need the most today and in this moment and in every moment of your life is to trust God. That's what you need most. So I'm here to ask you today, what are you worried about? Are you willing to name it? You don't have to say it out loud. But are you willing to name it? Are you willing to say what it is that is weighing your heart down? And once you're willing to name it, are you willing to give it to God? Are you willing to write it on a connect card and say, pray with me? Because those connect cards, if you put a prayer request on there, our team prays over them. Are you, are you willing to name that thing that is weighing your heart down? Or you can just walk out of here continuing to carry that weight. See, Jesus paid for you to have freedom. He didn't just pay for you Pay, pay the price by dying on the cross so that you could go to heaven. He paid for you to have a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. And many of you are carrying worries and a weight you were never meant to carry. Jesus paid for us to have so much more than I think we have as Christians today. So why not get it all? Pursue God's peace. Choose trust today. In fact, I'm just going to ask you, just as an exercise, this is something I do all the time. Would you just hold your hand out, your right hand out, palm up in front of you? Hold your hand out. You don't have to raise it high in the air, but just hold it out in front of you. And I want you to imagine, whatever that thing is, I want you to imagine that that thing is sitting in the palm of your hand, that you're holding it out, that you're extending it to God in a position of open-handedly, I'm giving this to you, Lord. Is it your kids? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your future? Your career? Is it some other relationship? Is it your past? 
Is it trauma? What are you worried about? And in that hand, would you be willing to say, God, I trust you with whatever it is that you've got in your hands? Just choose. It's okay. I would even encourage you. Just let those words slip from your mouth. I trust you. I trust you. Turn your worry into worship. Build an altar. Get a God box. Put your worries someplace other than on your own heart and your own shoulders. Give them to God. Now as we continue in this moment of prayer, there are those of you in this room, it's time for you to trust God with your whole life. You've been far from him. Maybe you continue to show up week after week at church services, but you've not chosen to go all in and trust him with all of your life. Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is your buddy, but he's not Lord of your life. And the Bible says that Jesus must be first, that he must be Lord of all or not Lord at all. And so today, if you're ready to go all in, you're ready to trust him, He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you about what you did last night or the thoughts you had this week, the actions you took, the things that you said. God loves you desperately. He showed it by giving his most valuable thing, his son. Today, all you need to do is respond is to accept the gift that Jesus has given us. It's salvation. It's our sins forgiven. It's a brand new start. Today, if you're ready to have all of that, you can have it. Just choose to trust God with your life. If you're going to do that today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included on that prayer, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm choosing today. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It means you're going to have progress. Yeah, thank you. I'm proud of you. You Put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, we're going to pray out loud. Nobody prays by themselves. Thank you. Put your hands down. I see your hand. Church, we're going to pray together. We got people making decisions today. That's why we're here. This whole service was orchestrated for you. We're here so that you can meet Jesus. So everybody pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says that when one person turns their life and repents and turns towards Christ, that heaven is having a party. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step in to make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. 
The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship, where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.